Welcome to Scientifica Radio. I'm Rakib. I am Brit. I'm Bethany. And today we will talk about uh, the 2016 uh, science news. So, like the top stories of 2016, as presented by uh, um, science, science magazine. Science magazine, yeah. Um, and the three of us will be uh, talking about news. Five pieces of news, I think, that we had yeah. picked that were our favorites. Five, yes. Um, and exploring what they are, why they made the top 10, and uh, what the future holds for these stories in 2017. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. <laughs> so um, I think the biggest science kind of news story, mm -hmm. which had a lot of people puzzled, uh, was gravitational waves. Yeah. Uh, I still don't... I really, do you understand them a lot, Bethany? No, like, no, yeah. no, I mean, they. I knew they were important. Yeah. I just didn't know why exactly. But I think that's, you know, well, you're here, please, to explain it. We are talking about gravitational waves, but maybe you are more familiar with gravity. And uh, gravity is what maintains us on the ground. So uh, this is our human point of view. But gravity is also the force that makes the moon turn around the Earth and the Earth around the sun. And 100 years ago, Einstein said that gravity is not an attraction force, but instead a distortion of the space-time. So now, what is the space-time? Imagine space-time like a piece of clothes that stretch around really massive objects. If you put a tennis ball on a stretch fabric, you will see a round pocket around it. And that's what happens with planets, with stars and black holes. And now what about those fa famous waves? So when two big objects collide, there, there is a burst of in energy. And uh, that energy travels in the form of ripples. And uh, the best analogy I think of, it's like when we uh, throw uh, a stone in a lake and you will see so the burst of energy when the stone just hit the, the water. And after you have little ripples, but first they are bigger, they are big around the source. And after when they travel through the shore, they will uh, decrease in intensity and that's what happens with the, the gravitational waves. And to uh, let us understand better, some scientists converted the gravitational waves into sound waves. So let's hear that. So here is a podcast. So it's called The World According to Sound by Chris Huff and Sam Arnett. These are two black holes smashing together. In the universe, there are pairs of black holes that sometimes collide. Here are two more. What we're hearing are gravitational waves. They're the ripples in space-time made by the tremendous mass of these black holes. MIT professor Scott Hughes converted the gravitational waves into sound. Rising pitch means the force of gravity is getting stronger. Hughes says that listening to black holes helps us understand their complexity. We can actually hear things like how big they are, or if they're spinning. These two wobble like a top. 
As the black holes merge, we can hear the force of gravity increasing. Their orbits spin faster and faster until they finally crash together in a high-pitched crescendo. So that's what gravitational waves sound like. Yeah, it's crazy for me. <laughs> Sounds like a really bad DJ. <laughs> <laughs> so of course you need a really massive event to create gravitational waves. So, and their first detections, it, it was produced 1.3 billion years ago by uh, the collision of two monstrous black holes. So one which is 35 the mass of the sun and the other 30 times the mass of the sun. So this is really big. And they spiraled one around another and getting closer and closer before merging into one. And the sound was detected on September 14 in uh, 2015 by uh, the Advanced Laser Interferometer Gravitational <laughs> Wave Observatory. Please tell me there's a short name. LIGO. LIGO. Okay. Yeah, so now we talk about LIGO. <laughs> and uh, LIGO has two big detectors. So one is in Washington State and the other in Louisiana. And it's really, uh, you know, it's not a detector like, uh, you know, a cell phone. It's a detector like uh, McGill University size, kind of. Okay, so it's, it's massive. It's really massive. And uh, it's really sensitive to any uh, movement, kind of. You know, the, the real waves from the sea? Mm. It, it picks it up. Uh, yeah, it makes it up. Yeah. So uh, those two LIGO, uh, they measure the extremely small stretching and squeezing of space. And once again, if we imagine the Earth like a tennis ball, but when you squeeze it on, in the poles, uh, the poles will come a bit closer and the equator inflates just a little. And that's what happened to our Earth when touched by the gravitational waves. Yeah. Except that that squeezing is smaller than the size of an atom. Okay, so... so yeah, it's jaw small. dropping. So this is really small. And in fact, it's, it's so small that Einstein saw that we would never be able to detect it. Mm -hmm. But uh, 100 years later, so here we are. So that was like kind of the biggest, one of the biggest stories that came out of that was the fact that Einstein had predicted yeah. this like decades and decades ago. I don't know how yeah. long ago he'd... Exactly, it and it's uh, also it's the the all the the theory uh, around relativity mm -hmm. and uh, who we who we are, where we are in the universe, all of that uh, coming, yeah, together. together. Yeah. It's just crazy, <laughs> completely crazy. And uh, so with that discovery, what uh, what will come after? So uh, now that we have uh, detectors that we know that function, there will be other detections. So uh, there was already one in 2016 and uh, a lot more are, ex are expected, sorry, in 2017. So uh, that's a new way to, to learn about uh, the black holes. And um, so there is the two... 
uh, LIGO detectors, but there is also another one in uh, in Italy, in Europe, uh, which is coming online uh, in 2017 normally. So uh, with uh, those three detectors, the scientists uh, hope to... Uh, uh, determine the, the origin of the uh, the wave and ins inspect the sky uh, for the aftermath of the, those cataclysms. So, I mean, as cool as all of this sounds, um, what? Why is it so important? Like, why are wh why were people freaking out on my Twitter <laughs> page? Like, what was what was so interesting um, about this discovery? Um, for scientists and for us moving on in terms of space exploration. In fact, it's a completely new way to uh, explore the, the cosmos because right now we can only rely on the light, so the different wavelengths of the, the light. And this is a way to uh, explore uh, what is not uh, bright, what where there is no light uh, in the universe. And the majority of the universe his no light at all. So this is really uh, a completely a new field to to explore. So a new way of thinking, of mm -hmm. looking, etc., etc. So like a new way of understanding like the fundamental laws yeah. of, of, I guess, the universe. Yeah, that's that's it. It's just uh, you know the the new exploration. Uh, it's not uh, to be on Mars, but uh, maybe soon. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, do, you, do you feel like you've learned a bit more about it, Bethany? Yeah. <laughs> so, Rakib, can you tell us a bit about one of the biggest health stories of 2016, about the Zika virus? Yeah, yeah. it is. Um, so, the, the major Zika outbreak, I think, uh, dominated a lot of the news coverage this year. Um, it started off... Uh, as a, as a mysterious disease in, in Brazil um, in 2015. Um, but really, the, the majority, the peak of its destruction really occurred um, in 2016. Uh, so what is the Zika virus? Uh, mm -hmm. It is a mosquito-transmitted infection, and it's uh, related to the dengue, uh, yellow fever, and West Nile virus. Okay. Um, and so how it's transmitted. So just like any mosquito uh, transmitted infection, uh, it is the female mosquito who bite people. Bad, right? bad female. <laughs> um, and they need to, uh, they need blood to lay their eggs and the virus travels from the gut to the salivary gland. And this is injected into, you know, next human victims. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's a particular mosquito, uh, which is at cause for all of this. Ides. Yes, the Ides. Uh, I, I cannot pronounce it correctly, but I think it's the Ides, Ides, <laughs> mosquitoes. And so they're found throughout the Americas and with the exception of um, Canada and Chile. So places where it's cold because they really do need warmer climates in order to survive. Welcome in Canada. Yeah, so we're <laughs> so pretty safe here in Canada. Um, so what happens? What happens when you get bit by this mosquito? Mm -hmm. Well, for the majority of people, four out of five people, nothing. Nothing will happen. Um, it, so no sickness? Uh, I mean, there no will be some symptoms, yeah. but the, the effect of it will not persist. Okay. Um, or you might not even show. You might not even know you have it. Uh, 
But where the unprecedented nature of this virus comes from is the fact that there has yet to be on this scale a mosquito-borne virus known to cause such severe birth defects. So the population who was hit the hardest, um, particularly in Brazil, were pregnant mothers and and their children. And an image that has become synonymous with the Zika virus is those images of newborn babies uh, being born with abnormal um, head sizes. And so this is a result of something called microcephaly. Uh, So what is microcephaly? Uh, So microcephaly is when... uh, the brains of these children are underdeveloped, um, smaller than usual. Mm-hmm. And in the States, there's a pretty low chance of being born with microcephaly. So yeah. it's about, depending on the region, it's two babies um, per 10,000 births or 12 babies per 10,000 births. Um, and so usually when this happens, uh, it's the child is born with a very small head there's really no effect on the infant. So it's okay. just the fact that they have a, an ab- ab- abnormally small head size. But with Zika, what we're finding is that the microcephaly comes with severe... Mental, um, mental defects. Well, with severe defects, exactly. Um, so it uh, it's a severe form of microcephaly, and uh, that's kind of... A huge uh, concern, and it's, uh, yeah, it's scary because you you don't know what. Uh, anyway, you are pregnant, and mm-hmm. maybe, and you don't know what your baby will have. And uh, so, along with microcephaly, yeah. there are other birth defects, like you you've mentioned. And although scientists are scrambling to figure it out, no one really knows what will happen to these children yeah. later on in life. I mean, you can't reverse this type of brain damage. Um, So, you know, whether the children will have intellectual disabilities or whether it'll be, uh, you know, like more of a severe illness, no one will know. Um, And so that is... uh, And we will not know before 20 years. Well, I mean, mean, these children will be very well documented. Um, In fact, within this past year, scientists were scrambling to figure out anything they could And in fact, this past year, over uh, 1,500 papers, scientific papers, were published in order to fill in this knowledge gap about Zika um, and its potential harms um, and its root causes. So there was just a mad dash from the scientific community to catch up and to understand the beast that they were dealing with. I am now declaring that the recent cluster of microcephaly and other neurological abnormalities reported in Latin America following a similar cluster of French Polynesia in 2014 constitutes a public health emergency of international concern. As a precautionary measure and because of the association, a coordinated international response is needed to improve surveillance the detection of infections, congenital malformations, the detection of uh, neurological complications, to intensify the control of mosquito populations and to expedite the development of diagnostic tests and vaccines to protect people at risk. 
especially during pregnancy. The committee found no public health justification for restrictions on travel or trade to prevent the spread of Zika virus. At present, the most important protective measures are the control of mosquito populations and the prevention of mosquito bites in at-risk individuals, especially pregnant women. The World Health Organization uh, came out saying that this was an epidemic in early February, said that this is no longer an epidemic because it is here to stay. Uh, I mean, okay, it won't... So like the flu. Mm-hmm. So it's it's something that will persist yeah. um, and something that will need to be figured out. Uh, so it is no longer an emergency epidemic mm-hmm. status. Not to say that it isn't still a crisis that is occurring. Of course, of course. Um, and so we're still seeing the the largest, the, the, the most amount of cases in Brazil. Um, but it's it has been found in up to 65 countries. So this is widespread. Yeah. Um, and... Again, very. I, I think the words unknown and unprecedented really do come to okay. mind in terms of this. So advice that the World Health Organization is giving out uh, is if you are traveling to countries that mm-hmm. are infect, uh, impacted by the Zika virus, uh, it can be transmitted sexually uh, with sexual intercourse. So it's if you are planning on going to one of these countries uh, to have a period of abstinence uh, or safe sex. Uh, so for about eight weeks is what they're saying. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you feel, if you have symptoms of the Zika virus, so these are things like uh, mild fever, uh, sore eyes, headache, joint pain, a rash, um, then you should be uh, not practicing sex for about six months. Okay. Mm-hmm. And also uh, for pregnant women uh, to stay away from these from these regions except that there are pregnant women that uh, live there and that they live there and another thing to to think about is that uh, particularly in Brazil we're seeing women who come from lower yeah. socioeconomic statuses uh, particularly uh, black women in Brazil are those who are impacted most by the Zika yeah. virus so there is a, a social political um, Problem up there. Problem up there, uh, Exactly. So what is being done? So there are a couple of things uh, that are being, that have been put in motion, that were put in motion. So one is developing uh, testing, new testing kits that can identify infections more quickly. Um, So these women and their, and their unborn babies can be documented. Um, And, Another thing is some scientists are using genetically modified sterile mosquitoes uh, to reduce the mosquito population. Um, so they're sterilized by low doses of radiation. Uh, so hopefully er- eradicating mosquitoes, you know, therefore less people getting bitten and so on and so forth. Um, and then the last one is where most of the efforts in the scientific community are being put, where all the money is being put, is for vaccination. The likelihood that we'll have a vaccination before 2018 is, I mean, I, it won't happen. Yeah, they, they, they're working on it, um, but uh, they have to it's an ex- pass every uh, Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, it needs to go into large trials, which will be happening this year. Uh, but don't expect a vaccine at least till 2018. And that it, 
that has been said by scientists from CDC, National Institute of Health, World Health Organization. So vaccines, not yet. So now, Bethany, you will talk about uh, Alzheimer's disease. Mm -hmm. So uh, there was a new treatment for Alzheimer's that was um, being looked into this year. So what exactly is Alzheimer's? It's a degenerative brain disorder that causes memory loss, decreased motor function, and we're not sure what causes it exactly, but it seems like the major factors are old age and um, brain trauma. Um, so the hypothesis, the main hypothesis for what causes Alzheimer's is um, the abnormal buildup of beta amyloid protein in the brain, which forms a plaque, which chokes out parts of the brain and destroys nerve cells. There's some support for this hypothesis right now, but there's still some criticisms. For example, there's people who have this plaque in their brain, but they're still healthy. And it, there's also a hypothesis that it's caused by um, a defective tau protein, which is part of um, the transport system in your cells. Uh, so they tested this um, antibody drug called aducanubab, which um, makes your uh, cells create antibodies for this uh, protein so it can start breaking it down and um, the it was tested on 165 people and um, the levels did go down and there's hints that people who had higher doses had some cognitive improvements but um, Ricky was talking about a study that they did on over 2,000 people yeah so I think given the fact that Alzheimer's is has a huge impact on people around the world. So mm -hmm. not only the person themselves, but families. Um, the fact that the World Health Organization has said that by 2050, um, the cases of Alzheimer's dementia will uh, triple and yeah. it'll become an epidemic. It's, it's something that scientists are scrambling to try to figure out and to try to mitigate um, as much uh, of... of, of the effect and the impact that it has. And so numerous trials have actually been happening, but one of the main trials uh, this year, and this is actually another big news story, failed. Yeah, not a good news for the Alzheimer community. Exactly. And so it was the most promising. It was done by a, a huge pharmaceutical giant called uh, Ellie Lilly, and they had over 2,000 patients enrolled uh, for a drug that also targeted the amyloid plaques, and they found that this experimental drug did not work. Um, so hopefully with these new drug trials that Bethany just explained, there will be more hope, but yeah. So basically more trials in the, the next year. Uh, did you have another story that you wanted to share? Yeah, I have a little story for you about uh, the minimal genome. So uh, it's a genetic engineering news uh, in 2016. So some people from the Craig Venter Institute in California intentionally build the smallest cell possible. So it's a bacterium with only 473 genes. And uh, so the, the, it contains only the essentials necessary to uh, exist and to reproduce. The idea was to construct uh, mini factories to produce medicines or to make uh, innovative chemicals for industry and agriculture. 
And of course, it comes with uh, some challenge. So, for example, reducing a genome so much, so uh, it allows scientists to identify genes that are crucial for microbe survival. So, including some with no known function. So, for instance, here, so one out of seven genes were not fami familiar to scientists. So, uh, we still have a lot to learn, even from those really tiny uh, microbes. Some people said so it's a technical triumph because it just could have not worked at all because uh, when you, you make a, such fundamental changes to the genome, so you're not sure to have a functioning cell uh, after. Uh, so I think that's all because all the it's also the so the potential. So here we have a bacteria, so a cell without any nucleus that could be uh, transformed into uh, many factories. And usually we we use presently uh, yeast, which are nucleated, to help uh, make malaria drug, to break lignin from wood, and to do other stuff that uh, yeast don't usually do. So um, that's it. Pretty cool. Yeah, it's cool. <laughs> I have uh, another genetic-related genetic story. So uh, genetic engineering too? Yes, very, very much, very much so. I think another big news story of the of the year was genetic modification, genetic engineering, CRISPR, all of that. Uh, yeah. But one interesting news story that came towards the end of the year was the child that was born with three parents. Three parents. Three. A lot of ethical question with that. <laughs> so, um, well, let's just take a step back. Uh, when, you know, the, the, the typical way of, of a child being <laughs> born or produced, it's a dad whatever, and a mom. It's a, you know, it's, yeah, so it's 23 pairs of chromosomes that, uh, that make up your, your genome, and that's given from your mom and your dad. Um, and so, uh, our genome encodes for more than 20,000 individual genes. How you look, how you respond to viruses, um, if you have a developmental disorder like um, Down syndrome, whether you're, you know, what sex you are, this all comes from the information uh, of your parents. So stored in the chromosomes inside the nucleus, the nucleus of your DNA. Yeah. So there is also another set of genetic instructions in your cells called mitochondria DNA. And what are the mitochondria? So the, 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 what are the mitochondria? It's a great question. So um, this is, these are cells out, so this is outside of the nucleus, it's not in the nucleus. Uh -huh. So if you think of the nucleus as the king or the dictator of the cells, you can think of the mitochondria as the powerhouse of the cell. And so what they do is generate uh, cellular energy. Mm -hmm. okay. So they're essential to us. Exactly. They're essential. And they contain 27 genes, but only from the mother's side. Okay. That means that the, all the mitochondria comes from the egg and uh, mm -hmm. no mitochondria come from the spermatozoids. Well, so no, no information from the father. Okay. okay. And so if we go back to this story... Uh, what has happened is uh, there was a couple in the States, uh, well, actually, they're um, from Jordan, and they were having troubles giving birth or having a child. Two of their past attempts uh, having a child mm -hmm. ended up um, with the death of their children um, because of this disorder called Lee's 
it's a neurological disorder. It's called the Lee's disorder. And that comes from mitochondria. Exactly. There you go. So it's a, it's a mutation from the mitochondria. So the mother was a carrier. Although she didn't present this disorder, it was in her genetic information. They got some consultation. And there was a three-parent technique that specialists in New York uh, proposed. And what this is, is they had a donor egg. Yeah. Okay. And what they did was they took out everything from the donor egg except for the mitochondria. Okay. okay? And they put the nucleus, the, where most of the DNA is stored, mm -hmm. from the mother into this egg. Yeah. So they did a, a nuclear transfer it's from trans one transplant. Exactly. To exactly. And then they fertilized it with the father's sperm in lab. Yeah. And then injected this fertile egg into the mother. And they had a child. And they had a child who is reported to be healthy um, and perfectly, perfectly fine. So the implications of this, uh, I think, is one of the major talking points of the, of the transplant. Ethically, it's genetic engineering. What does this mean? It's actually illegal in the U.S. It's not legal here in Canada. I think the only, currently the only country that has legalized it is the U.K., so a lot of questions in terms of the ethical mm -hmm. nature of this type of procedure um, about um, looking forward in the future in 2017. So that's all for today's show. I hope you learned as much as I did. Uh, before we let you go, though, um, we're looking for people to join our show. You can find us on Facebook. And also on our uh, website, which is uh, scientificaradio.wordpress.com. Yeah, and so if you have any questions or have any stories that you want us to cover uh, for the 2017 year, uh, we would love to hear from you. Uh, but for now, that is myself, Bleet, and Bethany. Thank you, and uh, have a great day. Bye.